it took us a while to figure it out, but I finally figured out the only thing that child needed to be well-behaved and sweet and successful and wonderful was piles and piles of my grace and mercy. Hello, the internet. You're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist, a best-selling humorist, and I don't think I've worn a real pair of pants in at least four months. Going for the record, I've been living in basketball shorts. Um, Am I proud of this? No, but this is the world we live in now. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. Um, I talked this week to an old friend of mine named Marjorie Hall. Um, As I said, she's an old friend, and she's also one of the best parents I've ever known. Um, A real uh, inspiration and mentor to me as a parent. And we talked about how she has changed her mind about parenting. Um kind of flipped from this idea of laying down the law and having discipline to just learning to let kids grow and become who they were meant to be. Um, So that was a really interesting talk. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I'm just going to go ahead and flip you over to the conversation and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Luke. Thanks so much for having me today and for giving me a chance to talk to you about how I've changed my mind. Yeah. Um, Marjorie is an old friend of mine, um, choir director at a church. I'm not that I used old. To... I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> You're older than me. Um, am I allowed to say that? Probably not. We'll have to edit that yeah. out. Um, <laughs> Marjorie is a uh, well-established friend of mine. Um, choir director at a church I used to attend. And um, yeah, a few months ago when I was casting about when when lockdown first dropped and it was like everybody who was going to be on the show started canceling on me, she stepped in and said, I can be on your show. I want to talk about the way I've changed my mind about parenting. And I, you know, I said, uh, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, it took me a while to actually get you on the schedule. So sorry about that. But um, <laughs> as a, a stay-at-home parent myself, I um, for the last seven years, I am actually really excited to talk about this. So, yeah, why don't why don't we get into it? Um, we haven't exactly defined how you changed your mind exactly. Um, do you want to how how would you how would you describe it? Well, how many hours do you have, Luke? Because I started <laughs> my parenting journey twenty five years ago, even though I'm very young. And, um, and I'm still, I'm still on it. So I feel like as a parent, I've changed my mind a lot, but I think (laughs) that we specifically identified, which was um, a little bit of a turning point for me, um, as a woman and as a, as a parent was when I, the day I changed my mind about those monkey backpack leash things that people put on their (laughs) kids. So, so you you went from against to four or four to against? I went to against to a full level of understanding. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I have four kids. I have Michaela, who is, is 25 now, and she was the perfect young child. She had a lot of feelings 
but um, but she really very rarely did anything wrong and <laughs> wandered too far. And then I had sweet Olivia who pushed every boundary I put in front of her until one day she discovered that, you know, life is just a lot easier now that she's pushed all the boundaries and she and I can be friends. <laughs> and then I have my sweet Ellie who um, had a, just a hard first year of life and had a lot of um, kind of skin and allergy problems. And But after that was just such a joyful young lady and wanted to just play with her sister and push her buttons and have a great, a great life that way. And they were all very obedient and we'd go to the store and, you know, they would do what I asked them to do and had a good relationship and they kept each other in check and all was good. And I'd see these other moms with their kids, like on leashes, (laughs) yanking on the ends of them, like, you know, bad behaved dogs. And I'm like, gosh, you know, I just don't understand it. It seems like and I, I hear the judgment in my voice now. Okay. <laughs> I hear it. It seems like they're treating their, their children like animals. Like they don't <laughs> want to put in the time and the effort to, um, to invest in teaching their children and or just watching their children. They just are, want to be distracted and, um, and doing their own thing and can't really be bothered with their kids. And then I had Jack, sweet little Jack, who... <laughs> I call him my like human monkey. The kid climbed everything, ran everywhere, jumped on everything. <laughs> and Michaela was 11 when he was born. So she was very much second mom, store wrangler of Jack. She would keep him, you know, kind of entertained and, and safe. And if, they, if he rounded a corner, she rounded with him and brought him right back. And um, But one day I had to go to to the store. It was probably Walmart or Jumbo's there in Enid. And and I had the three younger kids with me and Michaela was at school. And all of a sudden I found myself chasing this two-year-old all over the store. (laughs) Frantic. Like like a frantic monkey mama. I just was like, <laughs> I left the girls at the cart by themselves several times to go track down Jack. And I just thought, I found myself standing in the store. I can I make, imagine what I looked like. I'm sure my hair was everywhere. I'm sure my makeup was smeared down my face. I'm sure you know, <laughs> I looked like one of those moms out of a cartoon. And I was like, oh, I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> it just became so um, apparent to me that those, you know, those poor mamas were just doing the best they could with what they could. <laughs> and you know that opened my eyes really Luke to so many other things in parenting um, and and in supporting other people who parent their kids and that every kid is different and every parent is different and every life experience we bring to the table and we're all honest to goodness I have never met a mom or dad who is not just trying to <laughs> do the best they can whether it's a monkey or an older sister to run around the store. I mean, we're all just trying to do the best we can. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, my kids <laughs> for, this, for kid. listeners who don't. Yeah. I, I definitely have one older kid who's the model kid and does whatever you tell her all the time, almost to the point of being annoying. And then I have one who probably does belong on a leash. So um, <laughs> I can definitely relate to this. Um, I want to, before we get into the, the change of mind so much though, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, what you believed before and why you believed it. Um, I, I know there's <laughs> it, before you have kids, at least it's, it's extremely easy to judge parents and, and be like, well, my kids wouldn't be like that, or <laughs> I wouldn't be like right. that. I won't be like that when I have kids. I mean, was it just that, or was, was there a little more to it than that? I mean, I'm sure that was some of it, but I often, think about this because the parent I was when I started this 
crazy parenting journey is a completely different parent than who I am today. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen a little bit of that transformation as we've been friends for the last eight years. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, my mom and dad, I was a grandchild. I, my parents, I was the youngest of five kids. Um, my parents were 40 and 42 when I was born. Uh, I was a grandchild. I was raised by grandparents who were tired. And mm. my sisters and my brother wore those poor old people out. Wow. Um, <laughs> there's no lack of personality in my family, Luke. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my parents were very loving and supportive and present, um, but they were pretty laid back. They were, um, had a lot of perspective of, you know, eh, we all kind of have to make our own mistakes and figure out our own thing. So I got away with a lot, a lot more than I probably should have. <laughs> and I think two things happen in parenting. I think we either parent our kids just the way our parents parented us, or <laughs> we use a pendulum swing. So if mom and dad parented, you know, to the far left of things, then we tend to swing and counteract that with a far right parenting, at least to begin with, right? So I started my parenting journey as a pretty dedicated, um, you know, disciplinarian, and I really felt like it was my you know, goal in life to raise my kids to be obedient and um, to be kind, to be sociable, um, you know, all of these, all of these things that I had in my mind that a good parent should do for their kids, but most importantly, teach them how to behave. I didn't want these ragamuffins that I had to throw on a leash, right? Um, I wanted these well-behaved children and I was going to discipline them. And I really felt like as a Christian, I really felt like that was my obligation um, to the vocation that God had given me too. to be a good godly parent was to teach my children in the way they should go. Mm. Um, and, you know, and so I felt very strongly about that. Well, you know, God has a sense of humor. I hope you don't want <laughs> to talk about that a little bit, but um, he has, he has a very, 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 very strong sense of humor, especially when it comes to me, Marjorie Hall. I think you've got a book of funny jokes up there um, <laughs> related to me. Um, but there's that's a topic for a whole other day. Um, but he, uh, the first child he gave me was my beautiful Michaela. And she, um, it took us a long time to figure this out, but she was born with an overactive sense of right and wrong. And to the her, even to this day, the world is kind of black and white. There's right. and there's wrong and there's good and there is bad. And there's very little room for gray in all of that. And so when she would do something wrong, like not pick up her toys when she was very little, she would feel really bad about it. And in her mind, she'd be saying, oh, I'm such a bad girl. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I, mom may want me to pick them up and I didn't do it. And I'm so naughty and what's wrong with me? And then of course, mom went around the corner and what does a good parent do in this situation? We correct behavior. So, right? Oh, Mickey, you didn't pick up your toys. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. So now she's being pummeled with negative information from both sides. So this kid... Um, who didn't need a parent who disciplined her because she was very self-regulated, right? Mm. Had that mom who had decided it was going to be my job to make sure she was disciplined in life. Um, and so it took us a while to figure it out, but I finally figured out the only thing that child needed to be well-behaved and sweet and successful and wonderful was piles and piles of my grace and mercy and mm. encouragement to her to show herself that same um, kind of grace and mercy. And then consequently to show that to other people too, which was really hard for her, um, especially when she was young. And then especially in those teenage years when they, you know, cognitively start to develop these things that, you know, 
right and wrong. They kind of start to assimilate things. And, uh, and so that was the beginning of the change for me in general as a parent um, was just that I realized that there's not a formula for parenting kids. Mm-hmm. There's not a formula for parenting my four kids. There's not a formula for you to parent your two kids. Mm-hmm. And there's no formula. We can read a book. We can give advice. But in the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, the bottom line is uh, we're all in this kind of puzzle of craziness um, that, that we're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was the pre-changing my mind of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but along the way, you know, it's just kind of become more and more apparent that kids need more grace than they need discipline. Um and, you know, and so now I'm turning into that grandparent parent that my parents were, right? <laughs> Figure it out. I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you say that because um, I, I guess, <laughs> like, I, I agree, um, you know, and I, I feel like um, by, by the time I was a parent, I was coming off of several years of uh, uh, teaching middle and high school. Um, so I really had kind of gotten this, this you know, this I this, I think, accurate idea in my head that, you know, you can't, you, you, you never have full control <laughs> over another human being. Um, sure. Like the best you can hope to do with, with um, someone, is a human being, including a child, is to get along with them and facilitate their growth however you can, you know. Um, right. Like if you're, you know, if you're a halfway decent teacher, if you've got like, let's say either leadership skills or performance skills or whatever, you can kind of control the vibe in a room, you know, but you can't, you know, you can't have this set of rules that like, this is the way it's going to be. Um, unless, you know, unless every, everybody voluntarily signs on with them, um, which in a classroom or a home is unlikely. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I, I get what you say. I, I get what you, um, are saying about, uh, kids needing grace more than, more than discipline. Um, especially with, your first kid and, and my first kid, I definitely feel that was the case. Um, when my second came along, it was, um, oh, I guess this kid does need some discipline. <laughs> <laughs> boundaries, but I need yeah. some boundaries. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, when we when I, when I, when we first had kids, um, Julia, my wife was um, very adamant. You know, we are not going to to spank or use corporal punishment on our children, um, and I was I was on board with that. You know, like I, I you know, I. I was like, well, you know, I, I, I guess I don't feel quite as strongly as you, but I, I definitely um, agree that it's probably better to, to go about it other ways. And there's considerable research out there that it doesn't work. So sure, I'll sign on to that. Um, and with Lucy, my oldest, it was incredibly easy to not use corporal punishment. This is, is going to sound awful. CPS is going to come after me. Um, but like when she when she was as young as two, it was like if she did something wrong, which was already rare, but when she did, I could just, you know, say, okay, five minute time out, put her in a room for five minutes, come back and, you know, and, and sit down with her and say, okay, let's talk about what she did and why it was wrong. And she would listen and she would communicate back. And then I had, and, and I was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to do this with both my kids. Right. And I know then, you figured it out, right? You're going to write a book and you've got it down, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Then my second kid comes along, Zoe comes along and she's like, compared to Lucy, she's basically nonverbal, you know, (laughs) like she, she wasn't even talking until she was three-ish. I don't think she still, she just 
Lucy was reading before kindergarten. She hasn't, hasn't shown any interest in reading and she just started kindergarten. Um, but it was like, you know, if she did something wrong, I would put her in a room and she would just scream and pound on the door the entire time when she was in there, <laughs> you know, and then I would open the door and be like, let's talk about what you did. And, it's, you know, she would scream and hit me. Good time. Yeah. And I ended up, um, you know, like when she was doing stuff that was like truly dangerous to herself or other people, I ended up having to hit her because it was the only way to get her to stop, you know, like right. not like hit her in the face or whatever, but like slap her hand or something. And I, you know, I just felt awful because <laughs> I had told Ju- I had told Julia I wouldn't do that, you know, but it was like, this was the only way to prevent her from killing herself. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. We yeah. reserved spankings for kind of the worst life-threatening offenses, like running in the street or right, right. like those things that we needed an immediate like change of behavior to happen. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it really made it a whole lot more effective than if spanking was a regular. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, Zoe is just, she's completely irrepressible. You know, there's no controlling her no matter how determined you are to do so, you know. She reminds <laughs> when she me was, of Olivia when she was young, yeah. yeah. She's super physical, constantly, constantly climbing and exploring and there's no way to stop her so when she was like two she found figured out how to climb up on the kitchen counter and then get into the drawers and the cabinets and like get knives and everything else you know and it was like I can't allow this so um there were some you know I had some bar stools along the counter so I just moved those I put them in storage or whatever and you know that took care of it for a while until she figured out she could like grab the the dining room chairs and push those against the counter and get up that way you know and um, and I was like, oh, I can't put the dining room chairs in storage because then we have nowhere to sit when we eat. Right. Um, so I ended up like, I, I let her do it like one time. Cause I was like, if I, I'll just watch her do it, keep her safe. She'll explore and she'll be done. She'll get it out of her system. Nope. <laughs> and then she, she takes like everything out of the cabinets and puts it everywhere. And you know, then I'm up for like two hours cleaning up the mess she made that night. And then the next day she's like, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and it's like there's no way to stop her except to slap her hand really hard and then lock her in her room for a few minutes and i'm just like i feel awful but like i gotta do it you know um so i would say maybe it's true that some kids need more grace i don't know if that was true about my youngest <laughs> yeah well i don't know my Zoe reminds me so much of Olivia kind of combined with a little bit of that climbing that Jack had, but uh-huh. I'm sure I've told you the story before. Cause it was my kind of crowning moment as a parent. Um, and I can't really take credit for it, nor can I recommend it as a parenting style. Um, but it worked for my yeah. Olivia who we used to always joke was a sociopath. She'd <laughs> scream and yell. We'd sit her in timeout and she'd shrug her shoulders and trace the tile on the floor. And when I'd come up and say, you know, Olivia, do you know why you're in timeout? She'd say, no. I'd say, well, you hit your sister. Okay. It's not okay to hit your sister. Okay. So you can put color in your sorry now. No. <laughs> And it was like spanking. I'd spank her. She'd go, that didn't hurt. I mean, if there was just yeah, no. Yeah. I told Chris, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this kid at all. At all, I don't know what to do with her. And I mean, she was a pretty sweet kid, except for when she wasn't. And then there was just kind of no reining that in at all. And she was about three, maybe she was four. And we'd had a day, it had been a day. And I, you know, at this time I was a stay-at-home parent. So I was with them all day long. And, um, and I, she must've been three because she wasn't in school yet. And I 
we had had something go and I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't even spend time out in the corner in the kitchen. I'm just, I'm done. Mama needs a time out. So I picked her up and I carried her upstairs and I put her on her bed. It was a big girl bed. And I said, you put your head on that pillow and do not pick it up again. Do not pick your head up off that pillow. And she laid her head down like very nonchalantly because what did she care? That didn't hurt. This wasn't bothering her. She just daydreamed for a few minutes, right? (laughs) I go to walk down the hall. It was a very long hallway. And about halfway down the hall, I hear her screaming and crying. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. You take that little girl. (laughs) Mom, in and now, sucker. And I get to the top of the stairs and I start walking down the stairs and it's blood curdling screaming. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Crying in timeout. What is going on here? Turns out there are monsters under the bed. Who so, knew? Not a monster under the bed, but I go sneak back down the hallway and I peek around the corner and I see her head on the pillow. She listened, screaming bloody murder. And about an inch and a half away from her nose is like the biggest brown recluse spider I've ever seen. <laughs> Get up, get up, get up. She's like, no, you said to put my head on the pillow. So I'm grabbing her by the foot and yanking her off the bed. And I'm kill. I mean, I don't kill spiders. Luke, I don't kill spiders. I killed that spider. And I, we, the ordeal's done. She's crying. I'm crying because I'm the worst parent in the whole world, right? And I scoop her up and we're both crying. And we start to calm down. And she goes, <laughs> Mommy, I will never do anything wrong ever again. I promise. No more spiders, <laughs> Honest to God, pretty much she never did. <laughs> so the secret to parenting is spiders. We figured it out. Like I said, I can't really recommend it as a method, but it did work. <laughs> oh, goodness. She's been a pretty great kid to raise after that. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, around this this point, we usually talk about, and maybe we're there already, I don't know, but why, why you changed your mind? Was it just the experience of having different kids or? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, having kids, I guess maybe having the ability to see my children as different human beings and not just um, objects to raise was really formative for me. I was very um, fortunate when my children were young that I was, I worked part-time in a capacity that I could um, either myself or my husband could always be home with them, um, you know, with the occasional babysitter and whatever. Um, So we were very very much a part of their growing up, but I was also part of a group called Mothers of Preschoolers, which is a Christian um, organization that promotes like leadership and um, kind of parenting instruction and things like that. It's um, just kind of a really wonderful, wonderful organization. And for me, it was it was life changing. Um, and in that, I got to um, weekly meet with other moms and kind of hear about their kids' personalities and their, and it helped me, it really helped me discover my children beyond, um, kind of beyond just the task of raising them, right? It was just some, some days when you're home and especially when there's several of them or a lot of them and they all have personalities. Like I didn't, I wasn't granted children who were content to sit around and watch TV for 12 hours a day. Um, <laughs> they all have lots of energy and lots of personality and lots of things they want to accomplish in life, even when they were small. And um, so they were exhausting. Um, but when I began to look at them, 
individually and see their little personalities start to grow and bud and notice those things and started to cultivate and or um, discipline or correct those things more individually rather than corporately with my kids. Like instead of looking them as a body of beings to manage, when I started looking at Michaela and who she was and Olivia and who she was and Eliana and who she is and Jack and who he is. It really, um, really changed me and my approach with my own children, but it also helped me change the way that I looked at other parents and their journey with their kids. And um, to realize that, you know, we all come from different places with different experiences and then getting to that place where we're good parents doesn't always happen the day that you give birth. Um, I'm still waiting for like that really exponential moment where I'm like, I'm a great mom. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of feel like, Hey, they've lived and they're pretty decent human beings. I I must be somewhat on the right track is kind of where I'm at. So, um, and I, and I, you know, again, I told you earlier that my parents were really tired when they were trying to raise me. (laughs) And, um, and it's, I feel that a little bit as I'm getting older, not old, but older, you know, <laughs> and I've had to find myself looking at Jack, who's a freshman in high school, my youngest, and, and to remind myself, don't get tired. You can't get tired yet. Like he still needs you to push through and be that involved parent and that active parent and that listening parent and that participatory parent. Um, and so, you know, it's easy to get tired even when they're young. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I see that sometimes too in parents too and empathize with that. I want to come back to the leash thing since that's, (laughs) that's been the operative uh, symbol (laughs) of this change. Um, I'm curious, did, have you ever found yourself using a leash or is that just... So I never did, even after that experience in the grocery store, I never did go out and, and buy a leash for Jack. Um, I, it just, I don't know if someone had given me one, we might've used it, (laughs) um, you know, but frankly, we kind of reached, we were were at a point in life at that, at that stage, you know, he was the youngest of four that there was always lots of people to wrangle him. Right. Um, Right so to speak. And it was also around that time that he had tubes put in his ears. Oh, and yeah. I found that, that, that kind of changed the kid I had, he climbed us and he hmm. jumped us. And, I mean, like he was still an active child, mm-hmm. um, but it was almost like the pain, the chronic pain that he had from those ear infections and things was really, um, you know, I remember one time he had influenza and we were in the urgent care with influenza. All, all of us had it. And he was under the chair, over the chair, on the chair, hanging from the countertop up and over. And the lady behind the front desk said, oh, yeah, he's real sick. And uh, I was like, listen, I know this kid and you don't. And mm-hmm. he is he is really, really sick. He is. Mm-hmm. And he ended up, he had flu. He had the beginnings of pneumonia and a double ear infection. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was, just, that was just how Jack coped. He ran and jumped and climbed. And, um, you know, so around that time, we saw a decline in some of that with him, too. He became a little more manageable. And frankly, you know, we were young and broke and didn't spend money on a lot of things like that. But it, like I said, if someone had given us one, probably would have used it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting how much um, the state of your body influences who you are as a person, even when you're oh, a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I see one of your questions here, Luke, that I would actually love to answer. You say it's an unpleasant question, um, but asking about if I had selfish or self-interested reasons for holding that belief. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the you know, I, I, I do try to hit on that in, a, in every episode. It's it's one of the questions I'm interested in, which is, you know, to what extent do we believe things because we really 
you know, have <laughs> rational reasons to think they're true and to what extent do we believe them because we like them because they make them make us feel better about ourselves or whatever. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to address that, would you say you uh, believed what you did be for uh, selfish reasons? Oh, I definitely think that behind that idea that I felt the need to be so judgmental of parents who use leashes on their kids was definitely um, about me feeling better about myself as a parent. Mm -hmm. It was very much to be easy to sit back and say, oh, look at them. They have to use a leash for their kid because they're too lazy or uninvested. And look how great I am. Look how good <laughs> my kids are, um, which, you know, gosh, I'm so lucky I never got struck by lightning as a parent. But um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think there was definitely an underlying ugly voice there telling me that they were not as good as I was. And I'm sure, you know, you got to love hindsight. It's so 2020, um, <laughs> as they say. Um, I'm sure that was very, very much founded in my insecurities as a parent, mm -hmm. um, in my need to bolster myself, even though um, even though I hadn't figured it out. And so I, I really encourage any of you with young children who are listening, um, be careful um, with the way that you treat other young parents, because they should be your allies. They're in the trenches with you right now. Um, and, and it's so easy to pit yourself against them and to compete and, and, you know, to compete your children against each other. And, um, it, life's too short for that. Uh, life's just too short for that. So, yeah, absolutely. I wish I'd known that then. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm starting to figure it out now. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, you know, um, we live in a, you know, hyper competitive world where everybody is told, you know, you have to make sure your kid gets straight A's and <laughs> is involved in every extracurricular activity so they can get into an Ivy League school and become a doctor or whatever. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm too chill, but I'm always like, just let people be people, you know, like, <laughs> Well, I mean, the idea that we can form them into people that they're not is is kind of a frightening thought. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. There, and again, if I can bring Christianity into this as Christians, we believe that God knew us before He created us. I mean, He yeah. knit us together in our mother's womb, and and He knows my children and who He's made them to be, and the the gifts that and talents and faults that He's given them way better than I know them. It's my job to figure what, out what those are, and then to help them grow into the right people um, that they're kind of meant to be, whatever that looks like, and. Yeah. I think I've told you my parenting philosophy in the past. This didn't come to be until about, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, probably about halfway through. <laughs> and that is, I've decided I have two, two goals in parenthood. Okay, three. I have three goals in parenthood. One is to let them live because they're going to be great humans someday. And I'm going to really enjoy them as adults. So my first one is to let them live. Um, the second one is to raise them not to be jerks, to just not be hateful, mean people who steal lunch money. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of even just the, the crux of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't steal other people's lunch money. Just don't be that person. <laughs> um, and then the third thing is, is to give them the foundation they need um, to hopefully love Jesus for life. And I know yeah. I can't do that for them either. Um, and that's humbling. 
to know that I want I want that for them. I want them to um, to hold on to their faith for their entire life. But I also know that that's not in my control. It's my control to give them a foundation and the support to grow in that. As in all things, um, when I see their interests and I support and grow those, that's that's my job as a parent, not to direct them the way that I want them to go, but to help them be who they are and to be the best version of that um, and, to, and to support that and cheer that on at every turn, which just sounds so easy sitting here on a podca- podcast. Um, <laughs> sounds really easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a quote that I, I came across. I, I think I, a friend posted it on Twitter and this was like maybe a year ago, but I, I still keep coming back to it in my, in my mind that um, it, it was, it was about um, enlightenment thinkers, you know, like John Locke, Voltaire, those types um, and how so, so many of them were convinced human beings were born tabula rasa, blank slate or whatever, you know, just you can mm-hmm. make them into whatever you want. And the quote was, it's very telling that, almost none of the key enlightenment thinkers had children <laughs> or something like that. It's like if, if you've had kids, you know, people aren't blank slates. You know that all you can do is all you can do is try to grow them into the best version of themselves they can be. Um, and coming back to what you said early on about kids needing more grace than, um, than uh, what was it? Judgment or, or discipline, discipline or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, judgment works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that the, the whole tr- teaching them not to be jerks thing is like some sometimes yeah, punishment's necessary if some if someone's in danger or, or if they just really need to get the message that they need to stop that right now, you know, but so much of um teaching them not to be jerks is it's just learning to model what being a, a loving caring human being for them, you know, because they they learn so much from so much more from like watching how you behave than they do you know, that they learn from like punishments and rewards. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my thing is just, uh, you know, show your kids how to, how to love by loving them Um, and not, not in a gushy way, but like in a, in a real, you know, caring for them and making sure their real needs are met kind of way. Right. Well, and I think that also encompasses Luke embracing um, embracing their faults and mm-hmm. help them figure out what those are instead of trying to fix those, mm-hmm. right? Always mm-hmm. trying to, you know, make them go away or make them not part of who they are, helping them figure out how to navigate that. And, you know, your kids are still a little young for some of that, but as they get bigger, um, that just becomes such an important um, kind of component in raising older kids is to, is to say, Hey, this is something that's really a struggle for you. Um, you know, what do you think you can do about it? Or how can you use your strengths to cover it up? Or how can you, you know, how can you navigate this or learn more about this or, or change the way that this affects you mm-hmm. and, um, and the way that it affects others. And that's again, so easy to say in a podcast, but one of the most changing, um, parenting book reads that I ever had. And I read a lot of books about my kids when they were young. Um, I read The strong Willed Child, which I highly recommend to anybody who has kids with personality of any sort. Um, and I read, uh, well, but one of my favorites was um, Love and Logic, which talks a lot about natural consequences. And um, one of the most revealing things from those two books, especially, was the idea that um, letting your kids fail, letting them fall down and make terrible choices, why they're in your home and under your care um, allows them 
to when they are grown and going out into the world to have already made those bad choices, to already have failed and been lifted back up and redirected. And, <laughs> and you know, I think a lot of parents are like, hey, no, we got to fix this. 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 It's very hard to step back and say, I mean, obviously not letting them play with knives or run in the road, but it's very hard to step back and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and let him hit his sister and let's see what happens. Let's see mm -hmm. how his sister reacts to that. Uh, you know, within, within reason, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, three days later, when sister doesn't want to share her toys with him, it's really easy to say, hey, listen, Jack, remember when you hit Ellie the other day when you guys were playing? That's why she doesn't want to share her toys with you right now. So you're just going to have to give her some time and space. And to, to direct those things when they're young and in your home makes their adult life so much, so much better. Hmm. Because they've already failed um, and figured out a different way. Right. So letting them fail, especially in the little ways at home, is is really important. Um, hmm. And it's for you because you want to fix it, right? It's our job to fix them. Hmm. Um, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, I think I heard this on NPR like, you know, 10, 12 years ago. So I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm just shooting from the hip here. Um, I know in, you know, in, in American schools in the last five, 10 years, especially, there's been this push to end bullying and bullying and bullying. You know, we're not going to have bullying in our schools anymore, which is like, fine. I mean, we all agree bullying's bad. Um, but uh, I, I heard... Um, so, someone they were interviewing on some NPR show talk about how schools are run in, I think, Brazil. And again, I don't remember this perfectly, but they said, you know, when kids get into conflict, even if they're like coming to blows in the hallway, the attitude there is like, we kind of just let them do it because eventually kids need to learn how to deal with jerks, <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if I endorse that necessarily, but it's, it's something, something to think about that, you know, you can only protect your kids from the problems of the world to such and such an extent and for so long. And eventually they're going to be out there and they have to know how to navigate unpleasant things and unpleasant people. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, we got, we got two new puppies on March 15th um, uh -huh. and later that night went into self-isolation. Um, so we got two <laughs> eight week old puppies, sisters, litter mates, which we sure. now know um, is, uh, oh, they're adorable. Um, they've definitely kept us out of trouble, but we now know that siblings, litter mate puppies tend to have issues. Um, <laughs> so we've had to learn a lot about this kind of like nature side of those things. You know, they fight and wrestle and go after each other. And we have to, we've learned, we have to, we were messing stuff up because we kept trying to get in the middle of it and stop it before they kind of took that natural path. Hmm. Um, so, you know, we had to step back and let them kind of go after each other, teeth bared and, you know, this sort of natural taking down of each other, dominance laying out, um, and kind of had to watch it. It was so, it's so hard to watch because your sweet babies are, you know, trying to rip each other's faces off. <laughs> and then, you know, we've had to learn where that line is. Like, where does it become too much? When have they gone too far? But, you know, we were, we were basically trying to parent these puppies the way I've completely advocated against parenting. And that was <laughs> the minute they start to get into it, I would come and break it up. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And it finally took a, you know, a dog behavioral analyst to basically say, you're messing with their, their juju, like their, their <laughs> has to happen and you have to let it happen to an extent. Um, so 
parenting's a little bit like that too, I think, and probably teaching and any anybody who deals with children, there's some things you have to let them you have to let them do within reason. Now when skin starts coming off, maybe you say, <laughs> When hair starts coming out in chunks, perhaps you intervene, but um, letting them navigate some of that definitely sets them up for greater success because they learn from those experiences. So that's a great, that's a great point you brought up. All right. Well, how would you say that your life has changed since your beliefs have changed? I'm sure the answer will be in many, many ways because this is a decades long process, but. um... Sure. Well, now I'm the most amazing parent there's ever, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, congratulations on that. No, 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 I'm not. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, it definitely granted me the kind of space to be a different parent than I thought I had outlined for myself. Hmm. I thought I had this, you know, set of set of rules and expectations. And of course, you know, part of be growing into the parent you're supposed to be and parenting your kids into the kids they're supposed to be changes everything, right? I mean, it doesn't just change what happens in your home or on the dinner table. It bleeds into all aspects of life. So that kind of grace um, and kind of avoiding judgment of other people um, huh. and, and where they're at has, has really helped me to navigate a lot of different things. But I would say the most the thing that's most in front of my mind right now, and I don't always do a great job of this. I don't hop on my Facebook and be like, well, look at, she sounds pretty judgy right there. Um, <laughs> um, but right now in this time where we live, when things are so difficult and um, things are, are so polarized and um, there's all kinds of unrest and disruption. And um, I'm watching parents battle it out on social media and even in person about choices they've made about how to school their children this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really allowed me to be able to step back and make a decision for my children mm-hmm. and to say, you know what, this is the best decision I can make for them because I'm their mom and I've been given this decision to make for them. But that doesn't mean you have to decide the same thing. And I really hope that you will not judge me in that decision. Um, and I won't judge you because we're all just doing the best we can. And in this day and age with, you know, mask debates and quarantine debates and the economic debates about whether or not we should shut down the cities or um, I'm not quite sure how things are there with you, Luke. I know that your school is partially closed and so I'm sure it's similar, um, but all the political debates, if you're a Democrat, this, if you're a Republican, this, if you support this, this, if you're a Christian, this, um, mm-hmm. kind of all the sweeping generalizations and all the judgment and is really, really difficult to navigate. But there's some freedom in being able to step back and say, you know what, they're just not in a place in their journey to not judge other people. And, mm-hmm. and I am, so I can step away from this. I can step mm-hmm. back. Um, most of the time and, um, and say, that's where they're at. I don't agree, but I don't have to fix them either because Mm -hmm. I'm in a different place than they are. And I'm sure there's people who are far more enlightened than I am (laughs) um, far further down the journey. I hope, I hope there's still journey to be had for me, um, that I haven't arrived. I know I haven't arrived, but, um, but it's, there's some freedom in that and, um, and not having to always fix everything for other people because, yeah, we're all just in a different place. So the whole, this all comes back to a monkey leash, right? Where <laughs> uh, I thought that said a lot of things about a parent and it turns out it doesn't. It just says that parent is doing the best they can today. And today that means a monkey leash on their kids so that they can keep safe. And who knows where they'll be tomorrow and who knows where they were yesterday. Yeah. So um, yeah. 
Yeah, especially in times like this, we're all just doing the best we can. Um, <laughs> and that's not so, very good sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um, aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Uh, I've learned that I'm not always right. Please don't tell my husband. <laughs> but, but I'm not always right. And I'm, I'm not always as secure as I, I think I am. I feel pretty secure in who I am. And yet I find myself judging people for things like that. I realize that's almost always steeped in kind of my own insecurities and my own um, desire to be a good person, which I think intrinsically is good, right? We should desire to be a good person. We should desire to do good things and um, and to be the best person we can. But that doesn't mean that has to always be measured against other people. Hmm. Uh, so measuring ourselves against ourselves, looking at myself today versus who I was yesterday or even the day before or 10 years ago or 25 years ago when I became a parent um, is far more important than me pitting myself against, you know, like you, Luke, as a friend and as a as a parent. Um, it just there's no way you can evaluate yourself against other people. So um, when you do that, it, I have found for myself, at least, that it's almost always grounded in insecurity or a need to bolster myself, which is, I mean, that's the foundation for bullying right there, right? So I'm a bully. That's what we've established. <laughs> 47 <laughs> minutes in, Marjorie Hall admits she's a bully. <laughs> and I think, I, I mean, I think the lesson is bullying only gets you so far in dealing with other people, <laughs> including your own children, right? Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. All right. I have uh, three final quasi-philosophical questions I try to ask all my guests. Um, Long-term goal of this uh, podcast project is to kind of poke at these questions of uh, epistemology, ontology. How do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, so first of all, Marjorie, what do you think identity is? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity, do you think? Uh, yes, I think everybody has an identity. Um as I've stated multiple times in this podcast, as a Christian, <laughs> um, I believe that that identity um, is given to us. It's sort of like a, kind of like a, you know, you think about the DNA of the human human body, which is not just a physical. I mean, it affects mm. our, our brain and our cognitive functions and things. And it's just kind of a miraculous outline of the way that God made us. And so sure. as Christians, we talk about our identity in Christ, that um, we are by nature born sinful, right? But through Christ, we're given this, this kind of clean slate, not a blank slate, um, not a blank slate, but a clean slate that mm. we are free to be the people that God created us to be with Christ's grace. And so, um, and I think that ties back a lot to what we've said today, and that is we're all different people. God did not create any one of us to be just like the other, um, sort of like snowflakes, but not as spoiled, right? Um, <laughs> in the real sense of a snowflake um, that drops from the sky that is like none other, um, that we all, you know, and our life experiences play into that as well. So our, I think our identity, though, to get back to the, I think, your point of the question, <laughs> identity is rooted in, in um who we are, like who we're outlined to be, you know, like from the day we're born, but it's also very much founded in, um, in our experiences as well. So I'm, I'm a firm believer of nurture and nature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking as the millennial in this conversation, I am a spoiled snowflake. So I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. Um, <laughs> You're, there's no other spoiled snowflake just like you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're a unique spoiled snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> um, second question. We've talked about this a lot. So, um, you know, I, I mean, maybe you don't have anything to add, but uh, if you do, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? I mean, I think human nature, and I mean, scripture speaks to this a little bit as well, that, I mean, our human nature is to know God, mm-hmm. and yet we can look around our world and see that that is not um, prevalent in many people's um, way of being. I mean, we can see, let's start with just the ugliness on social media towards each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joked with somebody last week that I don't ever read the comments on any news story ever, ever, because they're so ugly and so yeah. off topic and so frustrating and, and I can't fix it. So I just don't read them. I read the news story and then I move on with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, when we see inherent evil too, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way that people can be so cruel, but also just the atrocities of this world. So it's hard to believe that human nature is inherently good. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't always understand that. It's on my list of questions for God. Like, why did we not all start out good? Um, mm. Why did you harden Pharaoh's heart? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so those are all kind of deeper questions for me that I don't know that I have an answer to it. But I think um, I think human nature as a whole, um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that, Luke. <laughs> Uh, and finally, what is truth? How do you know truth? How do you know when you found truth? What do you think? Well, that's like a loaded gun question. In this, <laughs> It's a loaded gun and it's aimed right at your head. Right. Give right. me the right answer. Or I'll pull the trigger. <laughs> I, I mean, relative. My truth doesn't have to be your truth. And if your truth isn't my truth, you're wrong. And, um, you know, again, I think we've talked, we've hit on this a lot. Um, a lot of that is founded in an inability to see other people's journey, yeah. uh, inability to acknowledge that other people are in a different place. But, you know, as Christians, we talk about truth. Um, the, the one thing that we know is true is God's word. And so I come back to that as, as truth, um, I, I, there's beauty in that. There's freedom in that. And there is, there's peace in that. Mm-hmm. And I know for some people, um, you know, Christian life is, is viewed very negatively right now, especially mm-hmm. as the church tends to do a pretty poor job loving our neighbor that doesn't look just like us, um, yeah. which breaks, <laughs> breaks my heart. I mean, it just breaks my heart that the love of Christ can't, <laughs> can't reach the people who need it the most because, mm-hmm. um, because God's people tend to get a little too big for their britches mm-hmm. um, and a little too full of their own self-righteousness. Um, but I think, I think if we look at the truth, the truth is Jesus didn't say, hey, you should show hatred to people who don't look like you or people who don't act like you or people who believe things that you don't believe. In fact, he said just the opposite. He said, love your neighbor. He didn't say love your neighbor who's a Christian. He didn't say love your neighbor who just lives across the street. He said love one another. Um, and we struggle with that as Christians because, you know, he also said things like, uh, you know, and I'm going to get controversial here for a minute. He also said things like, um, you know, sodomy is a sin. Homosexuality is not, you know, is not good. It's sexual immorality is not good. Um, and so we confuse, uh, those, those truths with a need to apply it 
to people who don't even who don't even know God hmm. uh, instead of ministering to them about the love of Christ. And then when they know when they know that, then helping them to look at their sin or to look at their um, their shortcomings or their lifestyle choices um, in, in that viewpoint. We can't ask them to join our viewpoint. Um, we can't ask them to live inside that grace um, without bringing them into the fold first. So, you know, you can, you can love people and you can take care of people and you can protect people and you can fight for the rights of other people who live a different way than you live. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> why can't we? Um, and so that is a truth that I hope that, you know, other people can hear, whether they're Christians listening, um, that maybe they can work to do a better job for the, on behalf of the church and in ministering to other people. Or as a non-Christian, if you're listening, I hope that you hear that, um, we, we fail. We as Christians, we're not perfect and we fail and our church body fails in, um, in loving our neighbors. But that's a reflection of us and our sinful nature, not of the Christ that we serve. Hmm. Sorry, I turned that into a sermon. Oh, <laughs> it's almost like you spend your time hanging around pastors or something. I, yeah, I have, I, have to, uh, I have to say these things to them sometimes, too. <laughs> my, my pastor's fabulous. He's a great guy. <laughs> Well, Marjorie, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show um, and a real joy talking to you. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me today, Lou. Sure. Yeah. Um, I always ask people if they have something to plug before we go. I know you don't have a book or a podcast or anything, but no. Well, I will plug beautiful music. Everybody go listen to some Bach today. Hey, amen <laughs> to that. It's always a good time for Bach. this has been changed my mind with luke t harrington i'm luke t harrington you can find me on twitter at luke t harrington or you can visit my website at luketharrington.com i will see you next time piles and piles of grace and mercy. I've, uh, I've been haunted by that phrase from Marjorie ever since we had that conversation. Um, and just the way that it's so true that what the human race needs for flourishing is grace and mercy for the weak. Um, I keep thinking about it, you know, as, you know, I'm as sick of hearing the phrase cancel culture as anyone, Um, but it's clearly a real thing, you know, Um, there's no shortage out there of uh, news stories of people who, you know, lost their livelihood because of something maybe even they didn't say, you know, maybe a relative said it on social media 10 years ago and someone dug it up and... Now they're suddenly unemployed. Um, um, you look up Majdi Wadi uh, as just one example. Um, this was a Palestinian immigrant who uh, recently, you know, he's a business owner and he lost his business because Twitter dug up uh, some racist things that his daughter had said a decade ago when she was a teenager. Um, 
And, you know, that wasn't an isolated incident. Um, a lot of stories like that are, are floating around out there. We have no grace for each other, no mercy for each other. Um, and part of that is because of how cheapened the words grace and mercy have become. Um, Christians, <laughs> we like to talk about grace and mercy a lot, but among us, or maybe let's say among evangelicals in recent years at least, um, what grace and mercy seem to mean is that powerful men get to keep their power no matter what they do. Um, there's been no shortage of news stories in recent years about uh, pastors or other Christian leaders um, who have gotten caught doing horrible things and have said, quote unquote, the right words and have been allowed to just maintain their position of authority because, oh, they were sorry for what they did. Um, obviously, Jerry Falwell Jr. has been in the news recently. Um, he is apparently finally gone from his position at Liberty University. Um, but what it took to get him out was ba basically proof that he and his wife had been sexually preying on young men, men in their late teens, early twenties for decades. Um, you know, and <laughs> all the other horrible things that he's done out in public weren't enough. Um, you know, all the, all the racist tweets, all the unhinged behavior, all the, uh, financial malfeasance, whatever. He's finally gone-ish, but Liberty has had to pay him more than $10 million to go away. Um, and he's not an isolated case. Um, you Google Andy Savage. Uh, he was the pastor of a megachurch in, I believe, the New York City area who got caught, you know, years after the fact, having sexually preyed on a girl in a church youth group that he was pastor to. And he stood up and said he was sorry. His congregation applauded and that was it. He maintained his position of power and authority. Um, and the girl, of course, has been, you know, shamed into hiding. That's not grace and mercy. <laughs> That's not how that works. Right, lifting up the already powerful is not grace. It's complicity in their misbehavior. Um, and I'm not saying that's the reason that we're a culture that has zero grace, zero mercy for each other right now, but it's certainly a reason <laughs> let's put it that way um so i just like to talk to my christian listeners for a second i think most of my listeners are christian um and if you're listening and you're not a christian this isn't 
really for you, but um, Christian scripture makes it clear in many, many places that we will all be judged in the end for how we treat the least of these among us. And that terrifies me, honestly. Um, And if it doesn't terrify you, maybe take a second to ask yourself, why? Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, If you like what I'm doing, please take a second to go on Apple Podcasts and rate or review the show. Um, I think we're sitting at 10 ratings right now. That's, I appreciate those people who took a second to do it, but, um, yeah, we could always use more. Um, every rating pushes us up a little in, uh, Apple's hierarchy and, you know, makes us a little more visible. Um, if you want to support me financially, I do have a Ko-Fi set up. Ko-Fi again is where you can throw somebody Um, just say, Hey, have a cup of coffee on me. Um, it's ko fi.com slash changed my mind. Um, if you don't feel like doing that, here's an even better option. You can buy my book. My book is finally out. I'm so excited. Um, my book is called murder bears, moonshine and mayhem, strange stories from the Bible to leave you amused, be amused and hopefully informed. Um, it is a humorous jaunt through all the weirdest pas- passages of scripture, because there are many, uh, put out by a Christian publisher, but written with a general audience in mind. Anybody who's curious to learn a little bit more about the Bible without all the Sunday school sanitation that often happens to it, um, you can find that at murderbearsbook.com. It is available to buy now. Um, I've had people send me pictures from Barnes and Noble showing it out on their tables. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. I hope it does well. You can help it do well. Um, You can uh, visit my website at luketherrington.com that has an overview of kind of all the things I've been doing lately. Anyway, I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. He's great. I want to thank Marjorie for being on the show. She's great. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Check out their other podcasts, Faith and Other Oddities, and The Commentarians. And finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. And don't be afraid to change your mind. Your mind.